Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. I am Alex Crisofoli, still without Tara Wellman, who is, in fact, actually no longer Tara Wellman because she got married last Friday Whoa. and has, has a new last name that I, is totally escaping me at the moment. So I'm just going to call her Tara, like I, like I said earlier. Uh, she, she would just be Tara until I can get that last name to memory. But we are lucky because we have a very special guest with us today, Ben Hockman, uh, Benjamin Hockman, sports columnist with the uh, Post-Dispatch. Everyone knows them. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm one podcast off. I'm, I'm on episode 110. The next one's 111, and I wrote 11 and 11. Ah, you know what? I, I think at one point I like may have skipped one or, or done something. So if you had just told me that, I would have called it 111. I don't really care too much about the numbers anyway. So, And do you like Ben, Benjamin? Does it matter? I, I anything is fine. I mean, it's funny. I'll do radio in St. Louis, and they call me Hoxie. I mean, everyone's got like a or Hooch. I mean, everyone's got a different nickname or name. So I'll take anything. Okay. Okay. Uh, g- glad you're here. You are an Andre Agassi shoe wearing enthusiast, which uh, as as I as am I, I. I've seen your shoes on Twitter. I love those <laughs> shoes. My favorite shoes ever. You, you also have a wonderful NBA Inside Stuff t-shirt that I DM'd you about to see where you got <laughs> it. Uh, you know, th- they have like rebooted NBA Inside Stuff, I I believe. But in, in my opinion, uh, Ahmad Rashad and Willow Bay will always be the hosts of NBA Inside Stuff. Um, I, oh, no, yeah. offense, no offense to Grant Hill or whoever else is doing it, but th- there's only two true hosts of that show. Yeah, I mean, someone's going to take over for Jeopardy, right? But will he or she ever be really the Jeopardy host? No, it's Trebek. That's abs- and, and, you know, and those shows are absolutely comparable, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> two, two lions of TV culture. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, we are recording this on Tuesday night, and the Cardinals are currently down 5 nothing, uh, to the to Cleveland in the third inning. So I, I gladly turned that off to, to <laughs> talk with Ben. And uh, I, I'm really glad you're here because you, you recently put out a book uh, called 11 and 11 about the uh, 2011 World Series, of course, won by the Cardinals. And it's funny because I was at games six and seven. And I remember, nice. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember... Well before the book came out, I'm guessing while you were researching the book, you put something out on Twitter that said something like, hey, if you have memories, if you were at these games and you have fun memories to share, uh, feel free to get in touch. And I kind of put a pin in that because I was busy at the moment. Um, And I meant to, you know, later, like, think about, you know, what were some of my favorite experiences from from being there? and And I would hit you back later. And then when I and then I and I totally forgot. And then I saw your book came out. I'm like, dang it! I could have been in Hawkman's book. Yeah. Why, why didn't I reach out? Yeah, you would have been. You would have made it in. You would have been in there forever. Uh, well, maybe if I do. Everyone's saying, "Hey man, are you getting ready to?" I, I let me try this again. Everyone was saying this about a month ago. Hey man, are you getting ready to write the sequel, Twelve in Twenty One? And uh, so I, I, I could have had you in that, but now with the with the bullpen and everything, I don't know if, there, if that's going to be a book after all. Well, I, I, I'm sure you remember this, but there actually was pretty close to a sequel of Twelve and Twelve because it looked like that was a hashtag for a little bit during the 2012 playoffs when the Cardinals sure. looked like they were on the cusp of returning to the World Series, but but they then squandered that uh, you know that three one lead that they had built up against the Giants and. It's kind of unfortunate to think about because I, I still feel as though they would have handled that Detroit team. But at the same time, after 2011, it was very hard to complain about much in the sports right. world. Because that was such just a magical ride. And not just starting at game six, but really starting in late August. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like for me as a St. Louis native, as a St. Louis journalist, as a baseball dork, I uh, just, I mean, I was just so many reasons why I was so excited to write this book and just kind of like the, the idea that maybe this will be on shelves forever, you know, and, and uh, uh, next generation, you know, I mean, I, hopefully they're still reading books in the, in the, in the future when the Jetsons cars come and all that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I hopefully captured it well enough that this could be something that's part of 
I don't know, culture, St. Louis sports culture. So I really worked hard on it. And you mentioned the fans. I, I wanted to write something that was not written already. And Tony mm-hmm. LaRusso and Rick Hummel wrote a book, mm-hmm. uh, a very fine I, book. I read that one, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's already a book about the 2011 Cardinals from the manager's perspective. So that ain't bad. So I really want to challenge myself to find stories that had not been told. And, of course, I interviewed a bunch of ball players for the book but I also got a lot of fan stories. And to me, like that makes me smile because I look at game six is like our thing. Like you could go, I mean, St. Louis and Missouri is like a city and state divided politically, but you could go anywhere and just say, Hey, what's your game six memory? And whoever it is will smile and be like, let me tell you a story. And, uh, and, and you're, you, you were there, you were literally at game six, huh? Yes, I was in section 367 for for game six and in one of kind of the upper level club seats for club sections for for game seven. And what you just said is spot on because I flew out there with a friend of mine from work here who's also a big Cardinals fan. And during the course of those couple of days, because we end up having to stay an extra day because of the rain out. Yeah. And... Over the course of those several days, we came into contact and met so many people. Uh, a lot of them were great. Um, most of them were great. Some of the people would not probably be my friends in my normal life. But the fact that we were there celebrating this wonderful thing, it was like everyone was just happy and everyone was just in such a wonderful it's almost hard to even think back and explain uh, because of how surreal the whole thing was. I do remember right. when Freeze hit that triple, what I remember most is once the dust kind of settled, I was no longer s- standing next to my buddy. <laughs> uh, no one was really in their seats that they were supposed to be in. And that they were in when that at bat began because of the jumping around and the high fiving and the hugging, hugging strangers, mind you, and yeah. you know, re- reaching back a couple of sections to you know give people fist bumps. And then once, and I don't even remember who came up after freeze, but once that at bat began, my friend was two seats down. You know, it, it right, was just, right. It was just such a wonderful, chaotic moment, and I. You know, you mentioned the LaRusa and Hummel book, and you know that one came out probably within—I I don't quite remember—probably within six months of of, mm. of that World Series ending. And I, I think it says a lot about how special this World Series is that you are able to write this book ten years later and have it still have so much interest. Were you worried at all that, like, look, it's been ten years, like? Um, even in St. Louis, will people still want to, to read this? I mean, that sounds crazy coming out of my mouth right now, but no, but I know what you mean. And, and, and I think of course the answer is because it was this particular world series. I, I, I always felt like I would be good to go. Um, because it is interesting. Like if in 2016, I was like, I'm going to write a 10 year anniversary book of the 06 Cardinals. Like it could have been a fine book, and obviously we have great memories, and that that curveball, you know, will be talked about forever in St. Louis sports lore. Um, but I don't know how excited the fans would be in 2016 would have been to read a book 10 years later. But here, because I, I just feel like this World Series, this 2011 World Series, was ours. You know, O U R S. It was ours, and um, and and we just share it, and it's like this uh, shared experience that all of Cardinals country, Cardinals nation had, if you will. And that's what I really tried to capture in the book. Like it's by no means is the book like, and then on the 24th and then on the 25th, like it is a book of stories and emotions and feelings. Um, and I really wanted to capture what it meant to be at game six. And the idea of like, we have that forever. No one can take that from us. The fact that we experienced this sports high um, that had never happened to any fan base before, you know, down two strikes, you know, the whole thing, the guy being from St. Louis, the whole thing, the ball almost being caught. I mean, there's 73 different ways that that triple is unique to sports history, baseball history. Um, that feeling, you know, the richest man or woman in the world can't purchase the freeze triple feeling. 
you know, the, uh, there's no, no drug can, can give it to you. Um, it's, it's just, you had to experience it and we did and we've got it. Oh, and by the mm -hmm. way, about an hour later, we, <laughs> we experienced something very similar with the, with the walk off home run. So, I mean, what a night. Um, and that, that was just my goal to, to just capture it from as many angles as possible. You are excellent writing about sports and particularly baseball from a human interest standpoint. I've, I've always uh, admired your work for that. And something you just said kind of reminded me of something. And that's that I, I'm not from St. Louis and I've never lived in St. Louis. I, I'm from central Illinois, mm -hmm. right in the uh, kind of near Springfield. And it's, it was where I grew up. It was split very much 50, 50 Cardinals and Cubs. And sure. If if you remember, and and you may have touched on this in your book, you can tell me. But the guy who caught the freeze home run that landed in Freeze's lawn was there with a friend who was a Cubs fan, oh, and, and wearing the yeah, okay, and wearing a Cubs shirt. And I remember seeing that picture and being like, I don't know those guys, but I do know those guys. Right. I know I don't know where they're from, but I know it's probably someplace near me um, because I grew up with uh, I. You know, I've lived in Chicago as well. And when I lived in Chicago, the way people felt about Cardinals fans was much different from where I grew up, where okay. we were all friends. I was friends with Cubs fans. Mm -hmm. My wife's a Cubs fan. My brother's a Cubs fan. Okay. Um, and I noticed the rivalry is a little more bitter when you get closer to the cities of how they feel about the other side. <laughs> but, but where I grew up, it, it really was that kind of friendly rivalry that they like to talk about on ESPN so much. And so mm -hmm. when I saw that picture... Uh, I think holding the ball with freeze uh, the next day or whenever that was, I, I just remember thinking like, I, that like is my baseball story right there of, of sharing Cardinals moments with Cubs fans. Right, right, precisely, and that that I interviewed both of those guys for the book. I mean, sixty people are interviewed, uh, quoted in the book, so I got a, a big variety. And man, their stories were great. They literally didn't sleep. They were up late because they went to the casino after the game, and everyone was coming up to them because of the Cubs guy. They recognized the Cubs shirt guy and then the other guy and they had, they had given freeze the ball, but they got a bat. I believe mm -hmm. it's in the book. I forgot exactly what they got, but there's, I, I know a bat was involved They're They're walking around a casino with a baseball bat. I don't, I don't even know that was legal. Um, and <laughs> people are coming up to them. And then just as they both got to their homes, it was like in the four o'clock hour, I guess the guy's cell phone number had gotten out. And the morning show of some local TV station called and was like, hey, we're on air at like six. Can, I'm glad I caught you. Uh, can you come down to the station? And one of the two guys didn't even go inside his own home. They both drove home. One guy had gone in. The other guy pulled up to the house. And that's when the other guy called him. And they just drove back downtown and met up. And then they just did the morning show circuit. And I believe it was channel five took them literally out there onto Frieza's lawn, which I call it the, uh, the grass where the ball landed and, and just what, a, and then they got oh, a local place, gave them tickets to game seven. And so, yeah. And then like you said, like the poor Cubs fan, I hate to, I mean, I can't believe I ever said that, that those, those words just came out of my mouth, the poor Cubs fan, but like, you know, at the time it was 2011, the Cubs were just falling apart and the Cubs uh, team itself, uh, sent him um, a picture of him, I believe, it's in the book, uh, a picture of him on the Wrigley Field scoreboard that says, like, the biggest Cubs fan in Cardinal country or something, like, as a shout-out to him. Like, they saw what he was going through as a Cubs fan. So it's just some some beautiful baseball stuff. That's great. You, you mentioned earlier why uh, you wanted to write this book, but when did you know you wanted to write this book? Did, has this been something you've been thinking about basically since the day after uh, sure. Game 7? Or how long has it been? Well, I mean, it's, it's always been dancing around in my head. And, and when I came back to the St. to St. Louis, my hometown to write for the post dispatch in, in fall of 2015, I started like any, any way I could like wedge my way into doing a game six story over the years, I would do it like, Oh, it's the five year anniversary. That's enough duration. I'll do a huge story. And, and I did one of those in 2016 and, and over the years I've, I've, I've enjoyed writing about it. 
And yeah, I'm, 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 once I had the opportunity from Triumph Books, this uh, book publishing company, coincidentally in Chicago, and a lot of the editors and people, the executives there are Cubs fans, and they 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 begrudgingly tell me they enjoy the book. They're like, ah, I I read it and oh, it's painful to read, but awesome to read type thing. Um, yeah, so once I got to write it, it was just a really cool experience. And again, like like you know, I just wanted to write a book that. I would want to read. And I, you know, I just want to write a, write a book that you're not reading the pages. Like I already know this man, like I already, you know, and even if you're at the game, it's not one of those, Oh, I was there. I was already, I've already experienced the things. The book really captures uh, different aspects. I don't think that the, the fan realizes. Well, you've I'm sure seen those reaction videos that circulate online of, of the different um, people in their living rooms uh, celebrating once that home run hits and it's you know I mean excuse me once freeze hits that triple and yeah. and ties the game and everyone going nuts watching that video uh, like I said I, I was at the game but watching that video I was like gosh that looks like so much fun being in your living room jumping right. off of that. you know it's it's almost uh, it, it it really didn't matter if you were there or not. If you were experiencing it, you were absolutely experiencing it. Yeah, well, I I interviewed – so what I did in the book, there's, the book's called 11 and 11, so of course I have 11 chapters. And at the end of each chapter, I have a game six story. Uh, so I, I chose – obviously in the book there's more than 11 fan stories intertwined there, but I picked my favorite 11 and ended each chapter with one. You know, one of them's the governor of Missouri who was in Shanghai during the game uh, and, and getting updates. You know, another one's from a fan who literally left game six early. Uh, is on no, Highway 40 no. in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, like a guy representing our nation in the Navy. He was in, the, in a submarine during game six. And But one of the 11 is the dancing grandma from the video um if you go on youtube it's called some nights you win the world series and uh, some nights you win the world series it's one of my favorite things I'm, i've been watching it for years and each time i mean each time my hair raises on my arm it's such a cool video it's exactly what you said it's a compilation of all these people that tape recorded themselves watching the games and it's just so natural and you're like oh i felt like he did oh i felt like she did i felt i, I feel them right now watching them in 2019 on my youtube in 2021 whatever it is and the dancing granny kind of summed it all up because she just she just goes nuts and she's uh i interviewed her and she's just a really really funny lady um she, she lives in saint charles now she she sent me a video of her they they went there was a video of her fishing and they show this sweet granny uh fishing and she's like i think i got one and she pulls it out and, and on the end of her line is a six pack of bush and uh <laughs> She reels it in and she opens one. And again, she's like 80 years old or whatever, and she drinks it. And and so she just shared some great stories of dancing and having fun. But also, like, she's been through hell. I mean, she had she she battled cancer and her daughter was really, really sick. And there's obviously these personal stories of perseverance for a lot of Cardinals fans. And baseball can be therapy for a person and no better therapy session than game six. Absolutely. Uh you mentioned you interviewed close to 60 people for the book. Was there anyone, uh, I, I guess, particularly a player that you interviewed uh, that surprised you or, or said something about the game or the World Series that you knew that you had never heard before? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to get a lot of stories I had never heard before from from different guys. Um and, and, and some that make me laugh, some that make me cry, the whole thing. But I think to answer your question, it would be Lance Berkman. And it's interesting because, you know, I see a lot. I, and what I'm going to have with Lance Berkman is I just don't know him that well from a from a baseball cardinal standpoint. I, I didn't I didn't know much about him when I started the interview. I did a lot of research and, and he was just so open with me. And we don't like my point is we don't know each other. And we were on the phone and he was just sharing stories and just so happy to to be a part of this. I think he kind of got it. He kind of got what I was up to. That like I want to get it, put pen to paper. I want to record this history and these people's stories. And you're the guy. You got the single. You're, you're like you, you. I need your story, man. And and he was all in. And and um, and he also got to 
this is a fun part. I got to put my favorite baseball story or one of them in the book that I'd never written before because I never had a chance. I never had the right situation to write it. Uh, so I'm going to tell you the story real quick. It's about Lance Berkman and his personality. So basically, um, he's obviously a, a great player, multi-year all-star and the whole thing, um, but he's a goofball. And that was kind of a key theme interviewing his teammates dur during the book process was Lance Berkman's uh, they talked about Lance Berkman and his goofiness and his personality kind of helped, you know, uh, liven up the clubhouse and loosen up the clubhouse. And I know it's kind of cliche in baseball or sports, oh, the, the clubhouse characters. But look, when you're ten and a half out, and most teams that are ten and a half out remain ten and a half out. But it took it took some personalities and some levity and things like that to to help lead that run. And Lance Berkman was a big part of it. So the story I want to share is that. Uh, when he was a top prospect in the Astros organization, I mean, he was pretty much like Dylan Carlson for St. Louis a couple years ago. Uh, first round pick, a great hitter, um, coming up through his team system, the number one hitting prospect. And Lance Berkman was on AAA New Orleans, and he had a, a minor injury that he had to sit out for. And so what does he do? Well, normally, like, like normally you put bubble wrap around these guys. You know, if Dylan Carlson had like a hangnail in 2018, you know, they would have, you know, sent the best hangnail specialists from, from all over the nation to make sure he got through that hangnail. You know, that is a prized prospect here. So I, I set it up like that. What does Lance Berkman do? Well, the AAA New Orleans teams has two mascots. They're both Nutrias, and there was Boudreaux and Clotilde, who were a married couple of Nutrias. Like, and, like the, uh, big, the big rats? Nutri yes. Okay, yes. okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the big lovable rats. And um, God bless I don't know. minor league baseball. Right, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, and Lance was not sure what happened that night, why Clotilde was not at work. Uh, but only Boudreaux was working. And Lance Berkman's got nothing to do. He's walking around the bowels of the stadium, and he literally sees this seven, eight-foot mascot outfit. So what does he do? He puts it on. He puts it on and goes out on the field and he's dancing around and word gets into the dugout that Lance Berkman, the top prospect is, is doing this and fun connection, but former Cardinal world series catcher, Tony Pena was the manager of the team and Berkman's up on the top of the dugout dancing around and Pena gets word that that's Berkman and Pena starts yelling at the mascot, get down, get down. Imagine if you're a fan in the stands or a kid in the stands, you see the manager yelling at the mascot. And again, like who's inside there? The, the this guy that goes on to be an Astros legend uh, is risking his body for the sake of comedy. Well, I obviously don't know Berkman either, but everything I've, I've read about him tells me he, he wouldn't be the type who would legit be uh, annoyed or upset by this. But was he ever like, hey, I had a good hit too. You know, you know I know Freeze right. did a triple and a home run, but, uh, you know, smacked in the middle of that. Uh, I was down to two strikes and had a, had a single that, you know, helped, <laughs> helped keep us alive. Well, as a, as a reporter, I kind of – I went the other way. I was like, I started with, with his hit. We talked about his hit. We broke it down. And then like, oh, but well, I got you. By the way, can I ask you about Freeze? Remember, he got a couple hits in that game too as well, you know. So I, I kind of I made him feel good. And again, he got an amazing hit. But, yeah, of course, you ask uh, 100 St. Louisans who uh, to name the star of game six or stars. Like, there's only one star. It was David Freeze. But, of course, Berkman kept the season alive. One of the images in my head when I when I see the replay on TV of Freeze's home run is Berkman at home plate because I think he accidentally bumps the ump or, or yep. the ump gets kind of caught up in the scrum a little bit and he kind of said, "Hey, sorry, we're we're having a good time over here. I didn't mean to, you know." Yeah, it was very it was very um, what's the word like a genuine. Uh, you know, like, like he's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to run into you like that. But look what just happened. My teammate just hit a walk off in the World Series. Right. The, uh, obviously, a lot of the book is about David Fries. Uh, he he became a legend that night, and you know, 
from that night forward, the phrase, you know, he'll never have to buy a drink again in St. Louis. I, I know there were pieces written several years ago um, that, that made it sound like he obviously wasn't regretting that moment, but he kind of was uncomfortable or, or wasn't quite sure how to deal with all that sort of overnight, you know, being this guy one day and then kind of a completely different guy the next day. Um, could you tell from talking to him where he's kind of at with that, with, yeah. with the moment? Does he still have kind of those feelings with that moment? Or is he at a place where he just is 100% embracing it? Yeah, I mean, he, he talks about how his wife kind of saved his life, uh, falling in love. And that's a that's a beautiful thing to hear. And I, I remember driving up from Jupiter, Florida to Bradenton, Florida, or, or up over whatever the direction is. Similar, how I mentioned earlier, I was trying to wedge in any opportunity to write about game six that was possible. He had joined the Pirates and he was in spring training. I'm like, I'm going to go up and, and have an interview with Freeze. And I sat down with him and it was a really cool experience for me personally, but but in that story, I believe it was from 2016 or 17, he opened up about dealing with a lot of the psychological aspects of being the guy. And, uh, and then Bob Nightingale, who's a great reporter, and I know some people – you know, give him some stuff on Twitter and the whole thing. But Nightingale was the reporter that got Freeze to open up literally about Freeze's alcoholism and, and the depression and the, the demons that he battled. And and that's the thing is like, and I have this, of course, in the book, like what Freeze did was superhuman, but he is, he is like super human. Like he is a human being that deals with regular stuff that a lot of us do. And one of his best friends had one of the best quotes in the book saying like he, he changed and saved a lot of lives, if you will, the night of game six, but he's also probably saved some lives or changed some lives by being honest about being a man and a human and dealing with issues. Because surely if you're, I mean, I'm I'm jumping to a conclusion here, but if you're a Cardinal fan and, and you deal with alcoholism and maybe you're ashamed by it, you shouldn't be, but if you are, but then you see David Freeze, the game six hero saying, it's okay, you'll get through this. I got through it man, that's some powerful stuff. So yeah, I mean, David Freeze, his legacy is is layered, if you will. Absolutely. And uh, I, I had forgotten that Nightingale wrote, uh, I, I think the piece I'm thinking of, but I think you did, you did as well, right? You wrote something similar at, at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I want to give Bob credit because he was the one that, that got Freeze to, to really – make reference to depression and, and really open up about specifics. And, and again, like that's, that's tough stuff to hear and it's important stuff to hear. And I mean, it just adds to the story. Right. I mean, David, David free. I mean, I, he, he could have just been like from, I always say this, you might've heard me say it or see me say it, like he could be from Botswana and he would be our guy because he hit the triple on the homer, but he's from Wildwood. He's from down the street. You know, he, he used to go to the, the, the batting cages that we all did. You know, he was just one of us, one of the St. Louisans and he got the golden ticket and he made the Cardinals. And then of course made the history um, and, and then dealt with so much because of that. When, when you were researching and writing the book, did you have a moment, and I'm sure this is a moment you've had before, even outside of the book, because I feel like every Cardinals fan has has had this moment where it dawned on you, perhaps again for the 20th time, oh my gosh, so many things had to happen for this to happen. Like this could have gone off the rails at this moment in on August 29th, on mm-hmm. September 10th, on, I mean, it, it was... I remember living through that time and it felt like the Cardinals were in a playoff game every night for about, for about eight weeks almost. Right. Starting with, starting with whenever the, they started to kind of climb back from that 10 and a half game deficit. Yeah. And that, and uh, clearly the book is about the whole season, not just the world series. And so, yeah, there's stories in there. And, and during my research to answer questions, yeah, I'm like, wow, like they could have easily blown this game, but this, bouncing ball or this thing and and the cool thing about it and I know this is cliche but like everybody had a hand in in them winning it and uh you know in basketball and I love the NBA and I love basketball but like even when 
an amazing story like the Cavaliers win it all for the first time. Like how many players on that team truly did amazing stuff during the run to win them the championship? I mean, the answer is probably like eight, you know, I mean, you know, but with the Cardinals, I mean, literally 25, 30, I mean, because the guys that weren't even on the World Series roster that contributed and, and everyone from Adron Chambers to Albert Pujols did something to your point that, kept it going uh that you know kept him alive another day and of course that being said none of it would have happened if the braves didn't have one of the most epic collapses ever Mm -hmm. and also the symmetry of that happening to the phillies the team um that didn't need to win that game they were already locked up but they respected the integrity of baseball and they also wanted to go into the playoffs on a high notes. They tried to win this meaningless game and they did in extra innings, knocking out the Braves who, you know, I mean, we, we tell the story of the Cardinals being 10 and a half out. Well, somebody had to blow it and it was Atlanta and it really is just unbelievable how many things had to fall into place. You mentioned Adron Chambers. Uh, because I, I live in Washington, D.C., I had not been to New Bush until the Adron Chambers Carlos Marmel game, which was oh. about, which was, I believe, September 24th, if, I, if my memories, if I'm remembering correctly. So about a week left in the season. Mm-hmm. And I, I was with my brother, who I mentioned as a Cubs fan. Uh, I <laughs> flew in and we drove over together. And that was one of those moments where I remember thinking in the top of the ninth or when the bottom of the ninth is about to begin, okay, look, the Cardinals at least made this fun. I at least had a reason to care for the last six weeks, and it didn't look like that was going to happen back in L.A. in August. So I'm happy that the Cardinals are here. It's a bummer that they're probably not going to make it to the playoffs because if they lose this game, they're in a very tough spot. And then, you know, Carlos Marmol basically happens. And I I don't mean to disparage Carlos Marmol. People forget he has – he at one time was a very good pitcher. Uh, but so that was my first game at, at New Bush. And then my second, third games were game six and game seven. <laughs> so I'm like, this place is just like magic. Right. Um, you know, I, I've since been back and I had not as great of times. But okay. but okay. Uh, yeah, I, those, those aren't my only three games at the new yeah. stadium. But yeah, I, I remember. Think, and, and what's funny also is about that Adron Chambers game is if I don't go to that game, I don't know if I go to game six and game seven because I think the only reason the Cardinals put me in that lottery to, to even bid on tickets was because I just bought tickets from, from the, you know, from the team in the first place. I don't know how it works, but I, I have a feeling I would not have gotten that email from the organization saying bid on Cardinals playoff tickets today or whatever. Yeah, it was. That's awesome. And again, it's it like, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to go big picture to get to small picture. Like I, I deal with this a lot in, in my line of work where it's like, I look at baseball different ways. I look at it, of course, through fangraphs.com and baseballreference.com and, oh, there are numbers that can explain why this is happening. There's, and, 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 and of course, I, I, like the fans, can get very analytical. But I also see just like the – the drama and the storylines that is baseball and the quirks of the game. And, and it obviously like the best of the writers bring it all together. But I guess what I'm getting at is like with this book, like for however many like stories about baseball and accomplishments and perfect swings and things like that, that are in there, there's stories of like these, like, like, stars aligning and these like superstitions and things like that that helped the 2011 Cardinals along the way and like some of them we know like Torty the Tortoise and and the Rally Squirrel and Happy Flight and the Shredder and things like that one of them I didn't know about was these magical fruit snacks now I, I preface it I used to live in Denver and they had different magical fruit snacks in Denver but this is I had never heard this story. Adam Wainwright and Kyle McClellan weren't on the roster for the NLDS and they're in Philadelphia and the Cardinals needed some runs. So Wainwright's in the clubhouse. He just grabs a packet of fruit snacks, throws it to McClellan, says, eat these. We need some runs. So whatever, he opens it. And like as the fruit snack hits the esophagus, if you will, 
the Cardinal hits the ball, whatever it was, and a run scores. And so those two guys were like, all right, we're on to something here with these magical fruit snacks. And they devoured bags and bags and calories and calories of fruit snacks for that whole month of October all the way through game seven. So, and yeah, I mean, I, we laugh and we smile. Like, clearly, a uh, you know, a, a bag of fruit snacks, did it affect the play on the field? Probably not, but the but the uh, believer in us says, yeah, maybe. Why not? Things have to align, and, and sure enough, it did. I obviously had not heard that either. Uh, you you brought up Denver. I, I want to ask you kind of a two part question about sure. your your time in Denver. You mentioned you you came to St. Louis in the fall of 2015 from the from the the main paper in Denver. Looking back. Any part of you happy that you were almost able to more experience the 2011 World Series? Um, I mean, obviously, you were still a sports columnist, but you weren't a sports columnist in St. Louis. So maybe you got right. to experience it a little bit more as a fan than you would had than you would have had you been the sports columnist in St. Louis at the time. Oh, no, no question. And I, and I think that enhances the book, too. Uh, I mean... I mean, I'm sure I could have done a fine book if I had been working at the Post-Dispatch, but I had this perspective of sitting in the last row of the bleachers for Game 6 and Game 7 uh, with two childhood friends, you know. I mean, that that's some special stuff right there. And, and yeah, there's no question, experiencing it like everyone else did, the roller coaster, the emotions, the tears, the cheering, and then only later becoming the – buttoned up distinguished not distinguished but buttoned up you know st louis journalist who has you know is, is not a fan anymore i put the cap away and i'm focused on that and it's been fine but yeah because i can tap into those memories from 10 years ago i really think it enhanced the the storytelling in the book hmm. uh, the the other kind of denver thing i wanted to ask you you know denver beautiful city awesome city uh i've only been a couple times but a I've always loved it when I've been there. It, do you at all miss being able to cover uh, sports teams where you don't quite have the same emotional attachment? Because I, I remember your first column for the Post-Dispatch. It was basically, I am of St. Louis. This right. is, I, you know, um, I'm not from St. Louis, but I know you all do the high school thing. And you kind yeah. of you kind of laid down your resume of this is how St. Louis I am. I, I still yeah. remember reading reading <laughs> that piece. Uh is it easier covering uh, uh, sports in a city like Denver? I mean, I'm sure you still get certain emotional attachments, but not like where you grew up and were raised. I think, and, and this is not me trying to sound, trying to say the right thing. I think it's it's easier and better for me to have the job I have because I have this like institutional knowledge, not from like studying, but just from like going to the game a bunch as a kid and going to blues games and going to Cardinals games that I think kind of rounds out my reporting and my writing. So clearly, so whereas, yes, I didn't, I didn't have any emotional attachment to the Colorado Rockies. So I could write about them and, you know, very analytically and, and, and say what I think. And there's no, there's no emotion tied to it. I think I'm, I'm happy with how things worked out here because I have this background. It's like I kind of, you know, I kind of got like a master's degree in, in St. Louis sports just by living it from 1980 until 2002 when I moved away after college type thing. So um, that that's helped a lot. Just being even just being able to make dumb references to Glenn Brummer or whatever it is, just something that kind of like ties the past to the present. Sure. Um. I mentioned earlier that I think you're really good at those kind of like human interest stories and just like the people that are around the game that aren't necessarily always the people playing the game. Uh, sure. I want to follow up with you on two things I remember you kind of uh, informally researching on Twitter. One was okay. the kid smoking a cigarette, I believe, at Old Sportsman's Park. Did you ever... Uh, did you ever get to the bottom of that? Uh, I do. Yeah. I remember you kind of sniffing around, being like, "Who is like, like? Do we know how old that kid was? Do we know what his story right. story was?" Yeah, and I um, I we 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 identified the uh, the kid. He um, 
he had since passed away. Um, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I think it might have had to do with smoking a lot of cigarettes starting at age three. Um, no, um, yeah, so I, I'm, I can't remember the, the name, of course, but if you Google it, uh, World Series St. Louis Kid Smoking, I'm sure the article will come up. And, yeah, it's this famous sports photo of, of the bleachers in the 44 World Series, St. Louis versus St. Louis. And, and it was so fun with the Browns and the Cardinals. And there's all these great faces in there, you know. There's, there's different faces. And it's, it's kind of like um, – I mean, I was gonna say it's kind of like, help me out, like the the Monet. Is that what's the one with all the, or not even the Monet? What's the one in Chicago that they're in? Oh, that's su- that's Sunday on the Grande. Yeah, is that that one? That one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, on one hand, it's like that. On the other hand, it's like Sergeant Pepper's cover. You know, <laughs> but the idea is like you see each face, and each face tells a story. And a shirt, like you said, you're like, wait a minute, is that kid holding a cigarette? And uh, so, yeah, just from a storytelling standpoint, it's like, who is this human? And uh, what's the story? Where did he get the cigarettes? Was he, he knows he's a, he's not, does he, did he know he was being photographed? And what happened was we found his uh, grandson who just shared these great stories about this man and the life he lived. And, and clearly the, the personality of however old he was, 14, the, the idea of a 14 year old smoking in public, um, or maybe it's 12, I can't remember the age, played into like who he was as, as a kind of a jovial, uh, out, you know, out of his shell type guy. And uh, we got other photos of him as a kid to verify uh, that it was him. And I, I actually, it's funny you, you asked this, I don't know if I've ever shared, not that I would share the story, I never really had a chance to share this story, but there was another guy who claimed he was the smoking kid. Not that he like remembers it but he like saw the picture and was like i think that's me and i'm like all right and i remember driving out to florissant and i went to his house and like and he was really old and like i kind of felt like like woodward and bernstein where they were like really hammering those people at the house to get the information like we got to get this right we got to get this right i can't mess this up and at point being, I, I, I'm interviewing this poor old man, and we, we get through it, and then, then I meet with the other guy who has got photos of his grandpa that look identical to the person in the main picture, and we had other reasons to, to figure it out that it was him. So then I had to like go back to this guy's house and be like, you weren't the smoking 12-year-old in the photo, and that broke his heart probably. But anyway, yeah. Like, like trying to identify D.B. Cooper. Uh, right. Uh, on the, the, well, I, I absolutely love that picture. And, and it's also like just the look on his face. He looks like he, he was not against settling a score out in the parking lot if, if he had to right? at such a young age. Um, yeah. The, the other one I wanted to ask you about, and this was a while ago, but I believe it was if it, like the first year Ballpark Village was kind of a thing. And okay. uh, uh, the cat was interviewing for a segment on TV, was interviewing just this family that was having a hell of a time in what, what, what's the section they were in? I don't even remember, but, but some, I think it was the AT&T rooftop. Yeah. yeah. And this family, I I don't even know a family, maybe friends. I don't know who they were, but they were uh, just given Jim the hardest time and I couldn't tell if he was enjoying it or wanting to get out of there as soon as possible. Uh, if, if I ever happen to see him, I don't know where I would, I, I'm going to have to ask him that. But the, the one guy who just said like classic go to bat or, or something and the one yeah. woman who mentioned something about the free drugs and the bat. I mean, they were, right. they were just having a time. And I remember you were, I think also like, I have to find these people. Were you ever able to find that those, those people? I never found them. And like, that is a miss on my part. Like, again, it's not like finding DB Cooper. I mean, I, I, I should have been able to find these people. Uh, I didn't, but it kind of, you know, if I spin it this way, it kind of adds to the lore that there's these like people out there that no one can identify but they provided us with such joy that night and i was i was living it was a summer i moved to st louis it was 2015 and i was in denver in my apartment 
just watching the game, you know, just like a St. Louis and watch. And, 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 and I'm like, is this happening? Is this happening on live TV? And when Jim, the cat Hayes goes, I'm going to go back to the well here and, uh, and try to pull this off. And he asked the guy another question and he does, he, he didn't know what to say. And I, so do you remember this, uh, last year at the world series, Rob Manfred, um, do you remember this where he's speaking live on the field, but he had like this weird, he had something in his ear that was like giving him sound and he, he sounded drunk basically. Yeah. This is not apples to apples, but what I'm getting at is like Manfred was in a situation where he's clearly like a human being that can speak English, but like wasn't able to because of the way the sound was going on in his ear. And like, I think that's what happened to that guy's brain right then when Jim Hayes asked him the question and the guy didn't know what to say. And he just goes, classic, go to bat. <laughs> and it just came out and, and it, it, it was classic. Well, I, I also remember laughing at when they cut back to uh, Dan McLaughlin. He said something to the effect of, "If that doesn't sell tickets in the AT and T or whatever, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what will." Uh, but right. I, I, I believe also that same gentleman claimed that, and who knows? This may be true. He he could have been up there in age, um, or he could just be that big of a fan. But I believe he also claimed he'd been to one thousand Cardinals games. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like Thousands. Yeah. Something that. It seemed like a very, a, a very, very uh, high number. Um, you, you know, usually uh, we have gone over 45 minutes and people who listen to this podcast know usually uh, we always end every episode with a chirp of the week, uh, which is like any sort of fun Cardinals stat or anecdote um, that, that I want to bring to the table. Whenever I have a guest on, I ask them to do one. Well, I forgot to ask you. I totally forgot to ask. It's usually but ahead of time. I asked the guest, hey, if you want to do the trip of the week, by all means. So I'm putting you on the spot. Don't sure. feel don't feel like you have to. But if you have any sort of fun Cardinals thing that you want to mention or stat, story, yeah. anything, the the floor is yours for the trip of the week. And I apologize for not giving you more of a heads up. Yeah. Well, I mean, what comes to mind is this really cool turn of events at Bush Stadium on Sunday. Um, it, it was really a historic moment in in press box history so follow me on this um we've got food up there and we are grateful that there is free food for the media that works so hard and one of the things is and i don't growing up did you ever go to venture there was like the it's kind of like target basically and they at target even to this day there's like a pretzel machine and they've got the pretzels in there and they're going around in a circle and they're always either uh, too hard, too soft, or too cold. You know, I mean, they're never, they're never good. And again, I'm not trying to knock anybody here, but they they have these pretzels available to the media, and it's sweet. But you know, every time it's like, ah, it's too hard, it's too hot, just you know, like the the was it the three little pigs or whatever, or was was one of like, you know, just right. It was there. so anyway. On Sunday, something happened, and they didn't have pretzels for us. So they allowed for one lone day the good pretzels, the Bavarian pretzels that are sold to the fans. They they brought those in and had those baked and made for the media. And it was the most delicious thing in the world. Have you ever had something you want to eat so badly for and you got it for free? I mean, I, I, I took one, I devoured it, I took a second one. You can ask the reporter, Jeff Jones. I mean, I don't know what happened in those couple at-bats that I was eating those pretzels. And I was just devouring it. It was it was heavenly, and it'll never happen again. They'll never have the, the $9 Bavarian pretzels available to the media. Uh, but this one glorious day, they did, and it was just uh, the previous game. So uh, there's my little uh, – there's my chirp of the week. Oh, that's great. That That's much better than what mine was going to be if you didn't have one, which is that Todd Zeal led the 1991 Cardinals in home runs with 11. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you know that his daughter is on the TV show This Is Us on NBC? I did not know that. Yeah, I, yeah. No, she she plays that. the high school-aged Kate. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, that is great. That I, I like – 
I always like hearing Todd Zeal because when I was growing up, the Springfield Cardinals were not the Springfield Cardinals we know today. They were the Springfield uh, Single A Cardinals in Springfield, Illinois. And he okay. was there. Um, in fact, he overlapped with Langford. So they had a really good team. Uh, I remember him cranking home runs out of that old dumpy ballpark. So, so that was awesome. great. Um, Ben, thank you so much for, for coming on tonight. You know, I've, I've said this before to, to people that, you know, excluding things like, you know, getting married and my kids being born, you know, things like that, going to that world series may have been the best time in my life. I, and I, I mean that 100%. It was that much fun that, and I still never, whenever I'm with my friend, we could sit for hours. Our wives, our wives are tired of hearing about it, but we could sit for sure. hours and talk about the, the weekend or I guess the week we had. I think we flew home on a Saturday, if I recall. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm so excited to read this book. I'm so excited cool. that you wrote this book. Again, it's called 11 and 11. Um, by Mr. Hockman, our guest here. And, and the website I know where you can buy the book is uh, 11and11book.com. Is that correct? Yeah, 11and11book.com, 11and11book.com. Go to it and you can write in an inscription and I'll sign it. So if you want to, if you want to, for instance, for your, for a father in your life, your dad or somebody that is a father, I'm happy to, to sign it. And uh, it's been kind of fun because over the last month or so, I've gotten a lot of uh, zany requests for inscriptions and, uh, and it's just another way to connect to the fans. I mean, again, like this is our world series. This was our time. And, and I was just honored to be humbled to be the guy to write one of the books about it. Well, that's excellent. Obviously, this is a must-read for any Cardinals fan who who lived through that. It's going to be a must-read for Cardinals fans, uh, you know, 30 years from now who weren't even alive but heard their dads and moms and brothers and sisters talk about it. So I have a feeling this is going to be a book that is going to uh, have a very long lifespan because this World Series and that moment and – All of that is something that we still talk about because it deserves to be talked about. It truly was that special. Yeah, there there will never be a World Series like it ever again. No, definitely not. And I I think that's going to wrap it up for this evening. But again, Ben, thank you so much. Um, Obviously, you can read Ben in the Post-Dispatch. You can follow Ben on Twitter. Uh, I don't know your handle. I know I follow you. What is your handle on Twitter? Oh, yeah. It's, it's just my last name, H-O-C-H-M-A-N, at Hockman. That's right. Follow Ben on Twitter, at Hockman. And I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Go Cardinals.